Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Amen. I told them, uh, when I forget that that's coming, not if I forget, when I forget, just play it anyway. And that's what they did. It's, that's good. We're getting used to that. It's, it is powerful and it draws us toward the Lord as we prepare to hear from him. Would you open your Bibles with me or grab the Bible in front of you? Let's look together at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, as together we're still studying the Beloved the beloved who is on his way. Let's read together. Matthew 3, 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word, which endures forever and ever. We pray, Lord, that you would Let your word so settle through our minds and into our hearts that it touches our souls and draws us ever nearer to thee. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The beloved is on the way and he intends to name us his beloved. Today we meet a prophet in the desert, John the Baptist, proclaiming in the tones of the prophets of old, God is on the way, God is coming. Get ready. After 400 years of silence, the word of God came to John in the desert and the people of God again heard a voice, a voice that they recognized, a voice like they hadn't heard in 10 generations saying God is on the move. God is on the way. It's a prophetic voice. The prophetic voice sounds radical. It sounds harsh sometimes, but it's actually a loving voice. It's a loving warning saying, I see someone coming. I see him coming down the road. And, and this one, he doesn't mess around. 
The Lord is coming and the Son of God is on the way. And do you think that you're in charge? Do you think that you run the show? Who do you think holds the power? The Son of God is coming. And when he comes, he will set all things right. Get ready. I've been, uh, I've been resisting saying this all week long, but it just fits. It's a little bit like that old song, My Boyfriend's Back. <laughs> and there's gonna be trouble. Hey, nah. Hey, nah. It's a little bit like that. As a, as a chaplain, one of my responsibilities was to help families prepare to reunite. And when soldiers were coming home after a tour in Iraq, I held a class for soldiers who were back from the theater but not back home. They were in the U.S. but not released yet to go home. And this was a required class. You can imagine how excited they were <laughs> to attend that, along with all the other junk we put them through, you know, that kept them from getting home. But... The soldier was away for a year or more. We had to tell them some things have changed at home. I had to teach them the family system has operated without you now for over a year. Some things have changed. We know you want to get home, but you have to understand there might be nervousness about your coming home. Go slow. I still remember the looks on soldiers' faces as that reality would set in. Not easy, but true. Jesus is coming. It's the season of Advent. It's the season of of coming, of expectation, of preparation. The beloved is on the way and he's coming to name us his beloved. That's great news. That's a joyful proclamation, cause for rich celebration and hope. But is there also a little bit of nervousness. There should be. There should be. Not nervousness about uh, parties or gifts or plans or budgets. That's not the source of the nervousness. But the cause of the nervousness is this, that you and I are about to stand face to face with the Holy One. And are you ready? Am I ready? The writer Annie Dillard, although she uh, lists her her religion as none on her website. She has moments of real clarity with, about God in her writing. One quote has become a favorite among preachers. She said, why do people in church seem like cheerful, brainless tourists on a packaged tour of the absolute? <laughs> That's none of you, by the way. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us where we can never return. Jesus is coming and he will set all things right if we really understood 
we'd be reaching for our helmets. John the Baptist is uh, handing out helmets along the Jordan River. He wants us to know a few things about the coming Messiah, just a few things John wants us to know before we waltz into the presence of God with our jingle bell hats and our light up sweaters and our musical ties, you know, all of which I hope to see over the next few weeks. Those are all perfectly proper ways to celebrate Christmas. But there's a few things we ought to know to get our hearts straight or at least a little more prepared. The Jesus we are about to meet is God himself. Endowed with such strength and might, such power and authority that he is able to execute justice. Fair warning. If you come into contact with Jesus, it changes everything. Four things. Four things that we ought to know. Number one, Jesus brings a kingdom. Verses one and two, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The rule of Jesus, the rule and reign of Jesus the king allows no challengers. When Jesus walks into the room, Jesus is in charge. No question. Fair warning. Number two, Jesus removes all masks. The people came out to the Jordan River to see a prophet, one who acted like Elijah and spoke like Isaiah, the likes of which they had not seen for a long, long time. Some others came along just to be a part of the crowd. The religious leaders, they seemed to have come to jump into the experience because it was the popular thing to do. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, not a nice thing to say, who warned you from to flee the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. Jesus doesn't want fakery. He wants the real deal. You can come honestly and openly and confess your sins and be forgiven, but fair warning. Jesus sees your heart and he knows your motives. And he doesn't doesn't tolerate. He just won't allow his work, his redeeming grace, his well-fought work of salvation and forgiveness. He won't allow it to be abused for selfish gain. Jesus sees right through us. He removes our masks. As Isaiah says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will will bear fruit, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge. Jesus is not fooled. And the good news is we can come and be honest. There's nothing that we need to hide from the Lord, but the warning is there also. The pretending, the pretending, it won't do. Jesus brings the kingdom. Jesus removes all masks. Number three, Jesus baptizes 
by fire and spirit. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire changes everything it touches. Nothing comes away from contact with fire unchanged. The spirit moves into our very core and it penetrates our very being and changes us from the inside out. Fair warning, come into contact with Jesus Christ and it will change everything. Your whole life will change. Nothing will be the same. The way you see the world will change. The way you see yourself will change. Your marriage will change. Your politics will change. Your philosophy of life will change. Your parenting will change. Your own desires will change. Are you getting the trend here? There's nothing that remains. You say, yes, I'd love to know Jesus, but I'd like to keep my philosophy of financial principles. My, My philosophy of of care for the poor. I'd like to keep my, I'd like to know Jesus, but I'd like to keep my philosophy of love and marriage. Well, you can try. It's not gonna work. At some point, you either have to drop it or you have to walk away from him. Jesus changes everything. The Lord your God is a consuming fire, taking your whole life up to be refined and transformed for his glory. Amen? Number four, Jesus makes a distinction. Verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Friends, once Jesus moves toward you and says, follow me, you're at the crossroads. You're at the crossroads. And you either follow or you don't. There is no, well, I, you know, I'll think about it and I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you later on down the road. No. To not say yes to Jesus is to say no. And there is a difference. There is a distinction. On the threshing floor, the farmers would beat the grain and throw it into the air. The good grain, the kernel, would fall to the ground and be collected, but the husk, the chaff, it blew away with the wind. John's warning is clear and simple. This is going to happen. This Jesus is coming. And before he does, take a minute now. Take a minute to ask yourself, how am I with Jesus, when I am sifted and, and I'm tossed into the air, will my soul be solid and substantial and will it fall into the hands of my loving God and Savior or will I blow away like a mist? The beloved comes. He comes to name us his beloved. The beloved comes with a promise and authority to make all things right. 
And he did come and set so many things right that were wrong. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God. The era of God's sovereign grace has dawned. We live in the age of open salvation and knowledge of God in Christ. We have the word of God in every hand. We have the spirit of God, his very presence in every heart. We know the Lord. But yet not all was set right. Jesus said himself, I have come and I will come. I will come again. And so between these, we long for the Lord to return and finish his work. We work and we struggle to fix things along the way, but mostly we're just installed with this kind of a a longing. We have a longing installed in us. Hang around with Jesus long enough and he will install an ache for justice inside you. You say, Pastor, I don't think I need any more aches installed right now. (laughs) I'm stocked up on aches and I'm full of pains too. I've got them both, right? But this is a healthy ache, an aching, a longing. We become a people aching to see justice, to see God's reign and rule, God's way of making things right for all, God's way of setting the world straight again. We long for justice, but we walk in peace. Isn't that amazing? As Isaiah said, right in the middle of a chapter, longing and aching for God's justice, Isaiah said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Church, that's worth saying together. Would you say that with me? You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Only the one who walks with Jesus can know this. Only those who know the Lord can at the very same time ache for justice and walk in peace. Why? Because we know, we know he came. He has come and he is coming. And he has power and authority to make all things right. Hallelujah. Amen. Father God, we do pray that you would help us to know you more. Pray that we would ache and long for justice, but that we would walk in peace, handing everything over to you. Help us to have the courage to hold nothing in reserve, Lord, but to trust you, to know that everything in you touch in our lives and take and transform, you are changing for our good. So Lord, open our hearts to love and to know you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.